And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And welcome to the show this morning. Of course, it is uh, Monday as we get ready to move into the full trading week of the first week, really first full trading week of December. Uh, of course, we've talked about, you know, that the first couple of weeks of December typically see a little bit of sloppiness in kind of market action because mutual funds are making annual distributions. There's about 20 percent of funds that have to do that. And that's kind of what we saw last week. You know, on uh, we, we saw a nice pop in the markets last week following the speech from Jerome Powell, which was taken to be a bit more dovish and, and probably uh, a bit more dovish than even Jerome Powell kind of wanted it to be taken. But then on Thursday and Friday, a little bit of weakness in the markets, not a lot. Friday had a, a, a decent uh, down open. We were down a little over 1% on Friday morning following the payroll report, which came in a lot stronger than people expected, about 263,000 jobs. But once you start digging down into the data, um, it was kind of still a very interesting report. First of all, the household survey actually had a loss in jobs versus the BLS employment survey, which showed this 263,000 increase. So, so different measures of employment showing very different things. Of course, that employment report on Friday, because it was strong, well, that suggests that, the, the, that uh, Jerome Powell will have to continue uh, potentially to hike rates further into 2023. So that's what caused a, a bit of the early morning sell-off. But then again, you know, there's been a lot of bullishness here in the markets as of late. And that break above the 200-day moving average, of course, that was a nice bullish signal that we had for the bulls. So again, that kind of sell-off early on Friday recovered throughout the day. And markets ended almost flat, just a, just a hair negative on Friday, um, back above the 200-day. So we now have a successful retest of that 200-day moving average break. So now we've broken above the 200-day moving average, successfully tested, that's one day by the way, uh, don't read a whole lot into that. This morning, uh, futures are gonna open a bit softer this morning. Dow's down about 122 points or so. We'll see a little bit of weakness in the markets early on. Again, just, you know, uh, we're in the middle of that kind of mutual fund distribution. So not surprising here to see a, a bit of just kind of sloppy trade over a few days. Now, once we kind of get through um, and what will be key here is can the markets continue to hold on to this 200-day moving average over the next week, right? So on the 14th, that's next week, we've got the next FOMC meeting coming out where Jerome Powell will hike by 50 basis points for the Fed. Um, but of course, it won't be the hike that's important. It'll be what he says. One thing about this rate high, uh, or I should say this uh, market rally, this break above the 200-day moving average, this kind of return of bullish sentiment back to the market, that eases financial conditions. That makes, that actually works in uh, opposition to what the Fed's trying to achieve. The Fed wants people to feel worse about the economy because if you feel worse about the economy, the markets, et cetera, you will stop spending money, which will help bring down inflation. It will slow economic growth. That's what the Fed wants. You're not paying attention. So they're gonna have to keep hiking rates until you start paying attention. As the old saying goes, the beatings will continue until morale improves. And this is where 
the Fed is right now. Um, the Fed is in a very kind of a tough spot because, again, they don't want to crush the markets, obviously, right? Don't want to create a financial condition. But at the same time, they need you to start slowing down. Stop spending so much dang money, right? Because that's what's keeping inflation elevated. We need to see that inflationary pressure come down. But um, one of the things that we've talked about here lately is, of course, look, the, the, our MACD buy signal remains in place. Nothing wrong at this point. Markets continuing to rally. This is great. Markets are, you know, pulling, pulling asset prices up. This is all good. Nothing to worry about here. But again, you know, we talked about taking some profits, raising some cash here. We're not out of the woods yet. Now, we don't necessarily have to have another big decline in the markets. But it's probably unlikely that we've now put the bottom in to, to, the bear, to this kind of market this year. Uh, another retest of these lows, or at least another pullback to set higher lows, would certainly be uh, expected going into the first part of next year. Now, once we get past that, now we start talking about economic outcomes. And the, the, there's more talk now, a good thing here. We've talked about how everybody previously was just focused on this hard landing kind of scenario. We're going to have a recession. Starting to see more and more commentary coming out now. And from a contrarian view, this is better. Um, uh, talking about soft landing scenarios and that we can avoid a recession. That's good. We want to see more of that talk because that way, the, the risk of this everybody making a recession call structure kind of goes away. We need to get some people on the other side of the camp, and we're starting to actually see that happen. Um, you know, these employment reports are fine. That's helping give this idea that, hey, we're going to have a, a slowdown economically, but because job growth is strong, we'll have a very soft landing in, in, in the environment. Maybe the case. I suspect that next year we're going to see some pretty decent revisions to this employment data. Uh, there's a lot of different measures of employment that are out there, and a lot of them are already starting to show pretty significant signs of weakness. And, and we'll start to probably see that feed through to this official employment report um, later on next year, particularly when we start getting revisions. We'll come back and say, oh, we didn't really do 263,000 jobs in October. It was actually only 50, right? We'll see those types of revisions. Markets won't care about the revisions, but we'll see that actually occur here as we get into later next year. Now, outside of that, Again, as we get ready to kind of wrap up the end of the year, this is the time to be thinking about, we talked about some of this last week, you know, don't forget, do some tax loss harvesting. This is, look, this rally here is a great opportunity. Do some tax loss harvesting, raise some cash, rebalance portfolios, use those losses to offset gains that you've got this year or potentially next year. Also, we talked about donor advised gifting. If you've got questions about that, uh, charitable gifting, you can gift stock. Uh, this year, instead of doing actual cash, move a losing position out of your portfolio, take the charitable donation for it. Lots of things you do. If you got questions about that, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, send us an email. We'll get you over to Danny, uh, Danny Ratliff or Richard Rosso, John Penn, one of our CFPs, can certainly walk you through that. If you want to set up a donor advised fund by the end of the year for tax purposes, you kind of need to get started on that now. Don't wait until the last minute. A lot of people are going on vacation institutions shut down for the most part. So if you if you want to do something like that, it takes a little bit of time to set it up. So this is the time to do it. Just get by the website, like I said, realinvestmentadvice.com. Okay, uh, so coming, uh, coming up this morning, a lot of stuff to get into as we start kind of looking forward to the rest of this year. 
what does this trade, you know, kind of trade look like? One thing that we want to keep a watch on in particular is the dollar because the dollar has actually been one of the drivers of the market this year. That stronger dollar has been sucking in a lot of inflows into the U.S. Uh, dollar's actually broken below the 200-day moving average here. It is definitely on a sell signal. It is oversold here, so I'd expect kind of a dollar counter trend rally here, but uh, dollar weakness is continuing to pick up. Again, not surprising. We've had a massive run into the dollar this year, so going through a bit of a corrective process uh, as we start seeing economic weakness show up. So, and, and particularly next year, if we see more and more economic weakness do occur, as some of these indicators tell us we will, uh, could see a much weaker dollar as we get into next year. That's going to have some other impacts on the markets as well. So, all right, quick break. We'll come back. We've got a lot of stuff to get into this morning. Uh, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out talking about this bearish kind of uh, sentiment, but this bullish rally we've got going on in the markets and that kind of confluence of what's happening. That's all on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter, blog posts, more. Got questions? Right there. Fill in the box, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be right back after the break. news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. the show this morning. So a couple things, uh, as I was saying, is that uh, we're now in that kind of two-week window between now and the 15th of the month where mutual funds are making their annual distributions. And again, because this year's been down, um, a lot of mutual funds won't have a lot of capital gains to distribute, but they still have to distribute their interest income, their dividend income for the year. So that typically tends to put a little bit of pressure on the market. It's just kind of an annual event. It's It's you know, it just kind of leads to more sloppy trade. Doesn't mean you have a massive sell-off in the markets. You know, that's, you know, one of the issues, um, you know, that we've got going into the end of the year is that there is a lot of rebalancing that's going to need to get done. And we've seen some of that over the last really week or so. Big rally in bonds. And that's not surprising when, if so if I've got a mutual fund, by the end of the year, I can only have, and it depends on the statutes of the fund, but a lot of mutual funds have these statutes that say they can only have 5% cash on their books. Why? Because they have to, they're billing you on cash, and so they want to make sure and have all that cash allocated so they can bill you for it. Um, so very low levels of cash in mutual funds historically by mandate. So this year, 
bonds have been out of favor, obviously down in price. Stocks have been out of favor. Um, but what this has led to, and of course, a lot of mutual funds selling positions, uh, meeting redemptions, those type of things. And that's led to out of balance. So let's say they're a 60-40 allocation fund. Right now, they might be out of balance. They might be you know, 40% equities and 30% bonds. I'm just giving you some numbers and you know, a big chunk of cash in the, in the fund. Well, by the end of the year, they've got to get that back into to tolerance, right? They've got to get that back into 60-40. So that's what we've seen here over the last week or so, seen a fairly big rally in bonds. A lot of that has to do with this positioning. And bonds have now gotten a bit overbought short term. I would expect a bit of a pullback here in bond prices, um, particularly as we go into the Fed meeting next week. Wouldn't be surprised here to see yields rise a bit on expectations. The Fed's going to hike rates again. Again, you know, one of the bigger risks of this upcoming Fed meeting is is a comment or two or three or four uh, by Jerome Powell about needing to remain aggressive or focused on hiking rates to combat inflation. That's the big risk. And they haven't changed that view or that language in any of their speeches. They haven't made any hint that they are close to a uh, pivot or a pause or anything else. Everything right now is focused on combating inflationary pressures because for them, that is the most insidious issue of the day. Right. If, if inflation becomes entrenched, much bigger problem, economically speaking, according to the Fed. This is what Jerome Powell and the Fed thinks. Again, no comments here, but the but the market keeps coming in and saying, oh, yeah, they're going to pivot. They're going to pivot. They're going to pivot. Right. Definitely at odds with each other. And again, it's interesting because for 12 years we've been taught not to fight the Fed. Now the market's fighting the Fed tooth and nail. Remember, the Fed's still doing quantitative tightening as well. So still reducing their balance sheet. So again, this is the interesting conundrum that is going on right now for all intents and purposes. So the, the issue for the markets, of course, is that they've got to determine whether or not earnings are going to continue to grow at this point as we move into next year. And if earnings estimates right now, what's currently estimated by Wall Street, is at the appropriate level. If not, that has implications for asset prices as well. But nonetheless, between now and the end of the year, so, so right now we're seeing some buying of bonds because those bonds have to be brought up and, and, and to, to wait. Distributions are getting made right now. So that leads to a little bit of, like I said, a little bit of sloppiness in market action. But then, the end of the year, they're going to bring those equities up to full allocation weight. So get the, realign that 60-40 allocation model back to 60-40. So given that markets are down this year, we could see some buying heading into the end of the year, right? That's that traditional Santa Claus rally. Doesn't mean that necessarily has to be the case, right? So you always have to be careful with these seasonal things that occur. There are some things that tend to occur every year because of money flows, and that's all we're talking about here. But it doesn't mean it has to occur. And there are years that it doesn't. But most of the time, 
the probability is, is that these money flows tend to show up in a particular manner and tends to move asset prices accordingly. Same with the first five days of January, as there's a lot of money flows going into mutual funds and investments because of 401k contributions, uh, IRAs, etc. So that's typically why you get that end of the year rally and then that first five days of January push, typically the case. So, you know, those are the things that we can kind of expect. Now, do, does that have to be the case? Absolutely not. This market's rallied now for about seven weeks. It's very extended. We're overbought on a lot of different measures. So a bit of a correction here would not be surprising. But again, as we talked about at the opening, we are above the 200-day moving average, right? That's bullish. That's going to get a lot of the bulls excited, right? That's going to get people chasing the rally. Um, read a couple of articles over the weekend, you know, starting to see more headlines. So as market's back above the 200-day moving average, time to get in, right? The new bull market's back. Probably not, but those type of headlines are going to start luring people back in. I can just tell you just from watching my Twitter feed that a lot of people are very excited about the market rally here, convinced, getting more and more convinced that the bottom is in, coming, giving me excuses as to why the market bottom is here. They could be right, right? This is the thing we have to be aware of. We will not know, and we will only know in hindsight, when the bottom of the market is in. Again, as we take a look at kind of the data, the data would suggest that the market bottom is not in yet. However, this is see, this is the problem with investing. See, it's, it's a lot of howevers and what ifs. However, markets tend to be forward-looking by about six months. So is the market right in this rally? Is this market right in denying what the Fed is saying? I mean, the Fed's clearly saying they're going to keep hiking rates and, and reducing their balance sheet. But is the market seeing something that the Fed isn't, right? Is the market suggesting that within the next six months, the economy is going to be back in growth mode, earnings are going to be going back up, and the Fed's going to be cutting rates and doing QE? That's what the market's suggesting, with its latest bullish action, right? And this is, and, but this is exactly why the Fed doesn't like this type of bull market rally because it undermines exactly what they're trying to do. So this is where we've got to be real careful. Again, you, you know, the, the thing is, is that, you know, you don't have to be, you know, all in cash, right? All hunker down into the world is coming. But at the same time, we've got to be careful. And that just makes it it just makes it more of a challenge to kind of navigate the markets. And this is why we just have to do things in very small movements, small trades here and there, until we know for certain as to where we are. And look, and look, and, and there's there's clearly the reality that coming out if, if the bottom of the market is in. Right. We won't know that for a little while. And we're going to lag coming out of this this rally because we're only 50 percent of our equity allocation. We're 35 percent exposure. Right. So our maximum allocation in our 60, 40 model is 70 percent. I know that seems odd, but yes, we can overweight equities. 
So right now we're about half weight of our of our maximum weight. So if we're underweight equity and the market rallies a lot, we're going to lag coming out of this. There's no way around it. But if the market does decline again, as we suspect it will, and again, you know, we've got it. We, you know, unfortunately, we can we can go through all the what ifs and the have nots and the wherefores and all this. But at some point, we have to make a bet, right? I can sit at a poker table all night long and guess the odds on the hands that are being played. But at some point, I've got to place the bet, right? Or I'm not really playing. I'm just sitting there taking up space and drinking free drinks, and they don't like that. <laughs> some point, you got to make a play. And that's where we are right now. You know, we've got, you know, we've, we've got a bet made, and our bet is, is that we're going to see some weakness here short term. And then we'll reevaluate our, our, our bet size and then go from there. But we could be wrong, right? And the problem with underbetting, right? And, and so this is the same thing. You've got a really good hand, right? You're sitting at a poker table, blackjack table, whatever it is. Pick your, pick your poison. You've got an excellent hand. You've got a, you've got a hand that odds suggest you will win if you bet. But you only bet a little bit. You don't commit to the bet, right? So you win. You win a little bit, right? Put a little bit of extra change in your pocket. But if you would have bet a lot, you would have won a lot. Well, the, that's the problem where we are right now is that based on the odds of us winning, we don't have a great hand in the markets right now. So we're not betting a lot. At some point... When we have clarity about the risk-reward-return in the markets, we'll increase that bet substantially. But right now, it's hard to imagine an outcome where everything we've been through and what we see in the economic data and with the Fed still hiking rates and reverting Q, you know, the quantitative easing, that we're going to have this stellar growth in markets and earnings to support higher prices. All right, be right back after the break. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com in 1999 a para group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients best interest these men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the houston energy corridor today still excoriated by their former employers they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. show this morning so as i was saying you know a couple of weeks ago i was here on the show talking about how there was too many people calling for a recession and 
as is always the case, and, and you know, one of Bob Farrell, who was one of the great Wall Street technicians, he had his 10 rules of investing. And one of those was when all experts agree, something else tends to happen. And it's right. And it's the, kind of the contrarian view of investing. And a couple of weeks ago, we were on the show talking about the fact that everybody is anticipating a recession. So if everybody's anticipating a recession, if all the experts agree a recession is coming, something else tends to happen, right? And so we said that, you know, what we need to have happen in order to have that recession, right? In order for that to occur, you need to get some of these people back on the other side of the, the boat. You know, if everybody's on one side of the boat, you know, tends to tip over. So you got to get some people back on the other side of the boat. And I thought it was good because over the weekend, uh, as I said, there's been more and more articles about a soft landing, right? And uh, there's a, a good article by Claudia Sam over the weekend. Reality shows a soft landing in 2023 in the United States is taking shape. We avoid a recession. We keep the full job recovery. And inflation moves back down. Hawks, it's time to join us in reality. So in other words, she's writing this letter, this, this, this article to the Fed, saying all you, all you people focused on inflation, you need to come back to reality, join the rest of us, and, you know, go from there. And, and again, you know, it, it, this is, again, we need this, right? We need this conversation now. And, again, I'm not saying that she's right or wrong. I'm not saying that at all. But in order to, if, if we are going to have a recession, you got to get people out of the recession camp. It's just something to think about. And, you know, the, the first thing that, you know, everybody's kind of pointing to right now is, look, inflation's already coming down. We've seen the peak of inflation. We, we, and, and we were talking about this earlier this year. We said, look, by the end of the year, we'll see the peak in inflation because of year-over-year comparisons, because of just annualized growth rates of things, et cetera. Inflation is going to peak and come down. That's just no way around that. It doesn't mean that things are getting better. It just means that the year-over-year comparisons are getting very tough. Now, inflation can go back up next year because when we get into this time next year, year-over-year comparisons will be very low. And if inflation is still hanging in there, we're still doing 0.4, 0.5%, you know, I'm not saying we are, but I'm saying if we are, we could see inflation stabilize at very high levels or potentially even go back up, depending on what's going on. So it's a little bit early to suggest that the inflation problem has been conquered. I'm not saying it hasn't, but it's certainly early. You know, the housing market has, has certainly softened, right? But it hasn't crashed yet. And maybe it doesn't, right? So, I mean, these are things that could happen. Then, uh, you know, if, if interest rates come down, mortgage rates come down sharply in the next couple of months, if the dollar continues to fall, there are certainly some things in here that could certainly kind of kind of buoy up the economic underpinnings certainly take away some of the edge of that expected recessionary drag. These are the things we have to consider. But she goes on to talk about, she goes, inflation remains a wild ride. This is, of course, um, you know, one of the big issues. Matthew Klein, 
said that I want to believe that there's still a path to immaculate disinflation. <laughs> Got to come up with, with great terms for, for clickbait, right? But he goes on to say, with the job market churn fading in context of rising employment and rising living standards for all. That's a stretch. But it is getting harder to see how it happens. Tolerating persistent inflation at 4 to 5% may be a bitter pill for policymakers, but may be better than many alternatives. At least right now, most people still have jobs. That's not really a factual statement. When you look at the headlines of the unemployment rate, yeah, we only have 3.5%, 3.7% people unemployed, right? But if that's the case, why is your labor force participation rate at 62%? There's, see, there's these disconnects between how we calculate one thing and who we count as employed and who we don't count as employed and, you know, multiple job holders, et cetera. We're not even back in many cases, depending on the age bracket that you're looking at, a lot of the age brackets aren't back to where they were pre-pandemic level. But, again... The idea is that, hey, we, we just had 263,000 jobs printed. Now, most of those were leisure and hospitality. Those jobs certainly aren't leading the way in better economic prosperity for all. But people are able to get jobs in leisure, leisure, leisure and hospitality. You know... And this is one of the things that's going to be the great debate now over the course of the next several months. The Federal Reserve wants to get back to 2% inflation. Now, in order to get back to 2% inflation, what else do you have to have? You have to have 2% economic growth. If you're going to drop the rate of economic growth to 2%, and let's just assume we can get to 2% economic growth and not go past that, let's say that we can magically tomorrow just turn on a switch and say 2% growth, 2% inflation. Well, 2% growth isn't strong enough economic growth to generate the job growth that you need to absorb incoming population growth. It just kind of maintains the current level of activity. This is why, you know, Prior to 2000, we used to look at 2% economic growth as pre-recessionary, not the goal. 2% economic growth doesn't create broader economic prosperity. 5%, 6%, 7%, 8% sustained does, right? But not 2%. But in order to have 2% inflation, you can't have 5% economic growth. I just If you're going to have 5% economic growth, you're going to have 5% inflation. They just go hand in hand. And if you have 5% economic growth and 5% inflation, you're going to have 5% interest rates on long-dated treasuries. So those just can't occur. So if the goal is to get down to 2% economic growth, to get 2% inflation, you also have yields at 2% or less. That's just the way that math works. Especially in a highly indebted environment, that's a whole other issue. You know, so as we talk about this, and, and again, with that jobs report on Friday added 263,000 jobs. That's somewhat above the estimates. Everybody was very happy about that. 
you know, the problem with it is, is that and I, I thought this was interesting. The best way to this is a, a comment from the article. The best way to solve labor shortages is with more labor, not fewer customers. Well, if you're going to have more labor, and this is the stupidity of what a lot of people write, in order to have more labor, I need more customers, right? I need more people demanding goods and services. Okay, and here's the important thing for you to take away from this, this conversation. The economy is based on 70% consumption. What you and I buy and spend, that is what drives economic growth for the most part. 70% of it. Big chunk of it. We cannot consume unless we produce first. We are not a, we don't consume first and then try to figure out how to get the money, right? We have to go to work. Unless you live in California, where they'll just give you $263,000. But you have to go to work. You have to produce something in order to get paid so you can go buy something, right? Okay, so that's just the, the, the magic of the way the economy works. Here's the problem. If, I'm just, if, if we want to solve the labor shortage, let's just all go out and hire a bunch of people. That's awesome. But if I don't have the customers to sell to, why would I hire somebody? Hiring is always a function of demand, not supply. So just because we have a quote-unquote tight labor market, which means we don't have any employees to hire, everybody's hired, supposedly, right? And demand falls, then I'm not going to go hire more people. So... The job opening labor turnover survey just came out last week. And we're already starting to see some easing in the labor market. And that's not surprising, right? Higher inflation costs contracts consumption. Retail sales, while, and we talked about this last week, while retail sales were strong for the Black Friday shopping season, it was actually less because people were just paying more to buy less stuff. Well, if I'm consuming less stuff, even though I'm paying more for it, that means less demand on the producers. Producers are going to cut back on labor if there's not enough demand. You just can't get around the, the, the math, right? Soft landing? Possibly. But again, I suspect as we get into next year, we'll see the impact of these higher rates start to hit the economy, which is why, as I said earlier, we're keeping a bit of a reduced bet on the table right now. Be right back after the break. We'll wrap up the show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high-cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive 
as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. The Real Investment Show. back to the show it is of course uh monday as we get ready to kick off the last couple of weeks of real trading in december of course we got a lot of holidays coming up here shortly holiday shortened weeks uh christmas right around the corner then uh, new year's of course so you know there's gonna be a, a, a much less volume being traded in the markets as as traders kind of leave for the holidays and that's going to start happening really in, in earnest following next week. So really this week, next week, <clears throat> pretty much that's the, the bulk of the trading for the, this year. And that's also why, as we said earlier, you kind of get that end of the year Santa Claus rally. It's kind of inmates running the asylum. You typically get um, you know some, some trading going into the end of the year. So, but uh, a very light volume. So uh, again, you just kind of you know expectations over the next couple of weeks. You know, it's, it's you know, Expect some volatility, right? That's just going to be, you know, we're, we've talked a lot about volatility this year. That's certainly not going away anytime soon. And, and this is one of those kind of more dangerous points for the markets. Again, you know, from the perspective of contrarianism, and again, the, you know, kind of the best way to invest is to always kind of do the opposite of what everybody else is doing because typically, you know, they tend to be wrong more than not. You know, now because the markets have been rallying here for six, seven weeks, lots of people are like, oh, the bull market's back, bear market's finally over, bottom is in. That's great. Maybe. Maybe the case. But this is that type of market that can come up and really sneak up on you real quick. And, you know, you jump in here thinking the, the bull market's back and, you know, comes to bite you in the butt a little bit. Markets are overbought. Very close to triggering a MACD sell signal. It won't take a lot. Um, one or two down days will have a MACD sell signal in place. And again, that's not the end of the world, right? It just typically leads to a period of lower prices. It doesn't mean the market's got to go set new lows. But we've had a fairly decent run over the last six, seven weeks. So a bit of a pullback here. Markets just don't go straight up. They kind of go up and down and up and down, and up and down, right? So wouldn't be surprised to see a week or two of, of weaker action gets markets back to oversold, and then you'll have the next trading opportunity. So just be a little careful, you know, jumping into the markets. You don't have to try to, to, to be all in just because the market's above the 200-day moving average. So the market's going to give you a shot. Markets could just kind of flop around here for a couple of weeks and not really go anywhere. We saw that a couple of weeks ago, and then we broke out to the upside. That kind of consolidation little process works. So market will give you that opportunity, may as well. And we'll just have to figure that out as we kind of go along. So, again, just be careful as you allocate, you know, money to your portfolio where in, and, you know, think about where you're going to allocate money to your portfolio. And it's just been, you know, uh, a challenging year, to say the least. It's, it's been kind of all over the place. And, and despite the fact that, you know, headline after headline after headline is coming, it's like, oh, we're in a bear market. We're really not. We've never, you know, we tested long-term trend support, bounced right off of it here four, five, six weeks ago. 
Market's still in a nice bullish uptrend from 2008. Absolutely nothing outside of just a normal run-of-the-mill market correction. It's just the problem has been is that it's been so long since you've seen a correction. It's been 12 years since we've had a real correction that it feels like a bear market. And that's and we've talked about this before. You know What things feel like and what they are actually can be two very different things. This market's felt terrible this year. It's really been bad if you've just been invested in all the wrong assets. If you were chasing all the bankrupt companies and companies with no earnings and no revenue, then it's been a pretty tough year. But if you were invested more normally, it's not been really all that bad. Markets are down, you know, 10, 11% for the year, 12% for the year. No big deal. But again, it feels worse. And whatever it feels like is that's what it feels like. But this is where we tend to make really bad decisions. And we've talked about this before. And again, now we're on this market rally. And the first instinct is, is I got to get in. I can't miss the bottom, right? It's probably not the bottom yet. We may be making the bottom, but we're probably, we probably haven't made the bottom. And that's in that, you know, that's kind of the, the thing we have to think about. So, you know, this is just one of the challenges that we've had this year as being investors. And look, you know, when we get back into a real bull market, right, where markets are just trending higher on a regular basis, whew, that's going to make my job a lot easier. Every day is just going to be, the, this radio show is going to get real boring because everybody's like, every day is going to be like, yep, yeah, market's going up, full allocation, see you tomorrow, right? It's going to be a very short podcast. <laughs> Because it's just, it's just, you know, we'll be back into that trend, right? But we're just not there yet. So volatility rules right now, and we just have to, to navigate that, that accordingly. And as I said, there's certainly some things here that we're going to be dealing with over the course of the next several months. Dollar is getting weaker. Normally, that's good for commodities, right? But commodities had a huge run this year. So maybe this is the year that commodities underperformed despite a declining dollar. I'm not saying that's the case, just something to think about. Another thing to think about, of course, is interest rates. You know, a lot of these interest rates that the Fed has put into the markets have not shown up and won't show up until next year. And this is one of the, the things that, you know, we continue to watch is that, you know, the, it's kind of hard to imagine that the markets have formed a recessionary low in the market, which is what you would expect from the most aggressive rate hiking campaign since the 1970s, when a lot of those interest rate hikes haven't even made it into the economy or to the market yet. Those won't show up until next year. And by the way, the Fed is still hiking rates. Slowing, yes. Stopping, no. And they're also still removing liquidity from the markets through quantitative tightening. They haven't stopped that either. So there's certainly some, some things to consider as we move into next year. And again, you know, I can certainly make the case for the recessionary camp. I mean, there's plenty of evidence that that is going to be the most likely outcome next year is some form of a recession. It's really hard to come up with a scenario that says otherwise. But there is that potential, that possibility, as we said of a soft landing scenario, but it seems to be more based on hope rather than, than fact or science or data or whatever you want to call it, right? 
so the question is, is of course, you know, as you take a look at the markets right now and get back to the kind of the fundamental look, valuations are still high. Earnings are coming down. And here's another thing to think about. I wrote an article previously, and I'm, I'm doing an update to this article. I have it out in a few days. But wrote about the average rate of return for stocks from 1900 to 2008. But it was about 8% a year, which is exactly what you'd expect. GDP growth plus inflation gets you about 8%. Since 2009, the rate of return has been 12%. So there's been a 4% additional increase in the rate of return since 2009, which can be directly accounted to Fed interventions and corporate stock buybacks, which, is, which have elevated returns in the stock market well above what the economy can actually generate. And again, when we talk about earnings growth, et cetera, we've done a tremendous amount of what we call pulling forward activity by these continued rounds of monetary interventions. Over the next decade, we've spent, over the last, let me back this up. So between 2009 and now, we've spent roughly $10 for every dollar's worth of economic growth. So through government interventions, stimulus payments, Fed, QE, et cetera, we've had $10 worth of interventions for every dollar's worth of economic growth from 2008 to present. We've spent a total of $43 trillion at this point. So in order to continue getting 12% rates of return out of the stock market going forward, you have to expect that monetary interventions are going to continue at the same pace. Money's got to go somewhere. But it's hard to imagine how you're going to spend another $43 trillion over the next decade to support higher asset prices. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's just hard to fathom. Somebody's got to, it's got to come from somewhere, right? Money just doesn't come out of nowhere. And there is no such thing as a free lunch. So no matter what you do, if you do just phantomly create money, you create inflation, right? Somebody's paying the cost. May not pay it directly out of your pocket in terms of taxes, but this was the whole lesson that we should have learned, and apparently California didn't learn this. But the lesson that we should have learned is that when you just inject capital into the markets, you just create money and send it to the markets, and you send it to households in particular, you get inflation. So either you pay a tax through the IRS or you pay a tax through inflation, but money isn't free. It's hard to imagine you're going to be able to generate 12% rate of returns over the next decade. So one thing you have to consider, and this is the dux of the article coming out, is that forward returns, not just because of valuations, that's part of it, but the lack of monetary liquidity and monetary support may be the biggest driver of lower returns in the future. That wraps up the show for today. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions, comments, emails. Let us know what we can do for you. Three minutes on markets and money will be coming up shortly. Um, of course, we'll keep you up to date every day on what's happening in the markets and, most importantly, what's happening with your money. 
See you back here tomorrow for the next Real Investment Show right here at realinvestmentadvice.com.